0: Let me kind of give you an idea of what we're doing and why. I uh, had several lectures that were missing or not done or something, and so we didn't have it on video. So I had been informed that I needed to do three on Jewish evangelism and two on Roman Catholicism. And so um, that's what we're doing. I didn't put them in order because uh, the one I did this morning was more on the gospel and had a lot of great scriptures. That's it's just, just it's, it's just beautiful. It was just awesome for Sunday morning. Tonight's just a little bit different than I one on Wednesday night, but we're doing them for a reason, and so that you know why we're passing out the notes. So all of this that I'm saying right now will be cut out. So anyway, how to witness to Jewish people? Assuming, assuming that you are going to witness to Jewish people. Somewhere along the line in your busy life, God is going to have your path contact somebody that's Jewish, and they don't know the Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful to lead some Jewish people to the Lord? You know, like I was talking about in the, on the last lecture, it is such a wonderful thing to realize our heritage, how blessed we have been, all because of the Lord working through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then to the whole nation. Christ coming into the world, and all the prophecies that are fulfilled, and what God promised, He hath performed. And He died on the cross, came back from the dead, and, and is alive forevermore. And He gave us a work to do, and we should be busy about doing that. So I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans in chapter 1. The book of Romans and chapter 1. What you want to do is to give the Jewish person an intellectual opportunity to reject Jesus Christ. Many people just reject Him and they don't even know why. They reject Him but have never understood or heard the claims of Jesus Christ as to who He really is, what He really did. And therefore, they do not really understand Why the chastening upon the nation of Israel in the last 2,000 years? And how so much can be changed if they as a nation would accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah? Wouldn't it be neat if Israel once again was to be the lighthouse to the world? Well, it will be, but only when the Lord comes back. But now notice what he says in the book of Romans in chapter 1 and verse 16. The apostle Paul says that I'm a debtor and then I am not ashamed, and that I am ready to preach the gospel. So he says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Also look there in chapter 2, and look in verse 9. Verse 9, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man, that doeth evil. Well, just think about this. Everybody in the world has a sinful nature, so everybody sins. And because we all sin, we sin against people, and people sin against us. And the world is wicked. And we suffer with a lot of anguish, and trials, and bitterness, and heartache, and sorrow in life. Some of it we produce, and some of it we don't. Just think about the most perfect person in the world I wonder who that was. Jesus Christ. He came into the world, and he even made the world. And how did the world treat the most perfect person that's ever been here? Well, they crucified him. So you expect people to treat you better? It's not going to happen. People do us wrong, and we do people wrong. We misunderstand, and we uh, accuse and judge and do all kinds of things. It's Maybe not right, as a Jewish person would say, it's just not kosher. But you'll notice that he says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, Look what we have here in your notes. Paul the Apostle thought we should do so. That means to intelligently present the gospel to the Jewish person and understanding what he did. That's why he said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in any gives us this verse here in Romans chapter 1. Paul was designated as the apostle to the Gentiles. The apostle Peter went to the the Jews. Yet, if you follow his career through the book of Acts, you will find that he always went to the synagogue first, giving them the first opportunity to be God's instruments in their respective communities. Some have suggested that Romans 1.16 is more than a historical statement that we should still go to the Jewish community first with the gospel. In other words, when the gospel was given, it was given to the Jew first. And when the apostle and Peter and him, they gave the gospel, they gave it to the Jew first. So it's like, well, that is historical fact. That has been accomplished, and now we're to take it to the rest of the world. Remember he said Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So that's where it started, and they got it first. But there's another point to this to look at. I don't believe that I should go into all the world and try to find the Jew first and witness to them. So i got to win all the Jews first, and then we'll try to win the Gentiles. I don't worry about whether a person is Jew or Gentile. I just witness to anybody, and I don't care what they are. I don't even care what religion they are. I just ask them a simple question like, do you know where you're going when you die? And if they don't know, there's a victim. So I jump in on them. And it doesn't matter what their religion is or where they came from or the color of their skin. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so there's another little statement written here that I want you to see. They point out that the verb is is also the verb for the clause to the Jew first. There may be room for disagreement here but there is no justification for the actual outlook of most Christian churches, which is more like to the Jew last or not at all. Perhaps you have some Jewish relatives, friends, or contacts that you would like to tell about the Lord. It might be wise to understand some of the do's and don'ts when you're going to witness to some Jewish people. Now, I'm not like Hank Lindstrom. He's been to Israel 15 times. Want a lot of Jewish people to the Lord. Dr. Stanford was one of the best I've ever seen in talking to Jewish people. The guy was awesome. And he could talk to a lost person and get them to trust Christ as Savior as easy as anybody I've ever seen. And so, when you talk to a, a Jewish person, it's good to understand a few things. And that is, knowing the scriptures that deal with Jewish prophecy, with the Messianic prophecies, so that you understand how to explain those verses, which what we did in the other lecture. So scriptures that reveal some of the attitudes that the Apostle Paul had during the church age in which we live, how did he think about the Jewish people? So look there in the book of Romans in chapter 9. Romans in chapter 9. What did he think about the Jewish people? Because he just made an awesome statement to the Jew first, also to the Greek. So even though salvation is of the Jews, salvation was not only for the Jews. It was that the Jews were supposed to be the light to the rest of the world. And they didn't do it. But it says here in the book of Romans in chapter 9, look in verse 1 down to verse 3. And just look and see how he felt about the nation of Israel and how he loved the Jewish people. Remember... Paul was a Jew. He says, I am a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. This is who he was. It's what he was. So you can't say, well, Jews can't be saved during the church age. (laughs) He was Jewish. And it was during the church age. So he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience, also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ, a curse from Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. According to the flesh, he was just like them. But he thought he was doing God a favor in killing those people and putting them into jail that believed in Jesus Christ. And so he wanted to put a stop to it. And that's when the Lord had a a meeting with Saul on the road to Damascus. And he saw a bright light, and God spoke to him. and says, I'm going to show this young man what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so God used him in a great way. But he believed in the Lord, and he knew Christ as his Savior. And he spent time getting the gospel from Christ himself, not from the other apostles. He was not here with the disciples. And so, therefore, he had a a lot to learn. But he wanted his brethren to know Christ as Savior. Also, to notice what he says here, and look there in verse 32. Verse 32, same chapter. He said in verse thirty-two, Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, Remember this simple little statement. If you believe that salvation is by works, you will stumble over Christ. If you believe salvation is by works, you will stumble over grace. Because grace won't make sense. Christ doesn't make sense if you believe you have to earn your way to heaven by your good works. So there's people that hear the name of Christ, and they hear the word grace but then try to earn their way to heaven by their good life, their good deeds. And they think that their good life will get them to heaven. And that's why they think, well, they have to go to church to go to heaven. Got to give money to go to heaven. And none of those things will save a person. So it's why this verse is so important. Because they stumbled over Christ because they were wrapped up in the law and they became law keepers and thinking they were good enough and they exalted themselves and they despised those sinners that didn't live as good as they did. And that's why we sometimes say, you know, there's some people who look down their long fair, cyclical nose at other people and they think they're like Kellogg's cornflakes, just a little bit better, and they're not any better than anyone else. Now look there in the book of Romans in chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, you're right there, Look at the attitude the Apostle Paul had about the Jewish people. Remember, to reach people, you have to have a burden. You have to have a concern. It means you have to care. You've got to want people to trust the Lord. Now, I would hope to think that as you go through life, you see people, and people are hurting all over, that you care about that person and where they're going to spend eternity. And it shouldn't matter whether they're black or White or, you know, red, brown. It doesn't matter what the color. It doesn't matter about their nationality. Those things are not important. Uh, every man is a soul. Every woman, they have a soul. They have a, that, that, that's a person. That's a person whom Christ died for. And in God's eyes, they all have value. Not one person has a greater value than you do. God doesn't love anybody in the whole world more than he loves you. He doesn't love you more, but he does love you, but he doesn't love anybody else more than he loves you. I like that. God is not a respecter of persons. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts in chapter 9. The book of Acts in chapter 9, and look in verse 20. So after the apostle Paul had trusted Christ as Savior, and that's listed here in the book of Acts chapter 9, what he did was... (coughs) It doesn't say that he went to the churches. It says that he went, in verse 20, to the synagogues. And straightway, or immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogues. That he is the Son of God. So this is where he went. And the synagogue is what, it was for the Jews. So he went there, and he did go to the Jew first. And he went, and he preached the gospel to them. Also, notice what it says in chapter 13 of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13. Look there in verse 5. Verse 5 says, And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John to their minister. This is where they went. This is what Paul did. And then the Bible also says, if you look there in verse 14. Look at verse 14. But when they departed from Perga, they went to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue, sent unto them, it says, teach us some more. They, there's people who wanted to know. So they had many that believed on the Lord. So Paul won a lot of people to the Lord after the church age started, And he was still telling us to reach the world, going to all the world. And remember, this all started because Christianity was the greatest Jewish movement ever in the world. There's never been anything quite like it. And it's affected the whole world for 2,000 years. So we're thankful for all that has been done. So should we care about winning Jewish people to the Lord? I think we should. I had an opportunity when I was down at the University of Miami. I was doing some gold stamping on books. That's how I was making a little money so I could, you know, take my exams and all. And I, um, in the student union building, I would set up my gold stamp machine, and I had several people that would work for me. And uh, Miles Carbonell was one of them, Mike Schaefer, he worked with me, and I had a couple others. Anyway, they would uh, take names down and we'd put the yearbooks and I'd stamp their names on it and put it on in gold and we'd put heaven tracks in all the yearbooks. And this one guy had it done and he went over there and he opened up and there's a track in there. He said, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of this stuff. Well, it wasn't long before I knew I was going to have to deal with him. So he, um, standing there getting an attention, And everybody stopped what they were doing, and there was a couple hundred people in the area, all looking. And they all look over at me, see what I'm going to do. This guy's defiant, you know. And I don't believe in all of this stuff. Well, I stood up on my side of the table, and I looked at him, and I says, you. Yeah, you. Yeah, come here. In front of everybody. So he starts walking across the room toward me. And he got led right up to the table. Now, I was a little cocky back in those days. <laughs> I said, on this side of the table. I says, come over here on this side of the table. And he wasn't sure he wanted to come on my side of the table. And everybody's watching, still. Oh, he came on my side of the table, and I walked over to him. I says, no, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ loved you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He went to the cross and he paid for all of your sin. And I said it low enough that nobody could hear what I'm saying to this guy. And he's just standing there looking at me. He was in a state of shock. He didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't either. So I was talking to him. And all of a sudden, he got a tear in his eye. And he told me, he says, my, my, my parents told me about this, but I never understood it. I explained a little bit more. Next, you know, he trusted Christ as Savior. He walked over to my table, <laughs> picked up some of the heaven tracks, and he walked out of the student union building. He never said a word to anybody, and neither did I. But he wasn't really looking for a fight. He was just looking for somebody that could answer his question. See, he really wanted to know. Some people are just hoping there's somebody out there that's got an answer. In the same student union building, after we had taken a break so forth, I walked by and there was a table sitting there and there were five Jewish boys sitting there. You say, how do you know they were Jewish boys? I can tell. Anyway, I walked up and they were all sitting there. And so I walked over to him I says, can I ask you all a question? Now, I did this to a Jew one time. I asked him, I says, um, how come every time you ask a Jewish person a question, they always answer with a question. He says, why not? <laughs> so I didn't do that with them this time. I says, um, can, can I ask you a question? They said, sure. I says, um, do y'all believe that the Messiah has already come, or are you looking for him to come? And I said, that's a good question. That's not an argumentative question. And so a couple of them said, well, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I, and a couple of them say, well I, th- well, I think he's coming yet. I said, Well, if you think he's still coming, I says, Can I ask you another question? He said, Sure. How are you going to recognize him? I don't know. I said, If the Messiah is yet to come, how are you going to recognize him when he comes? What are you looking for? How are you going to recognize him? He says, I don't know. I says, Can I show you from your book, from your Bible? How you can know your Messiah when he comes? I said, yeah. Would you believe it? They let me sit there with all five of them. And I had a Bible. And I used nothing but the Old Testament. I says I know you have a problem with the New Testament, so we won't even go there. We'll just go to the Old Testament because most Jewish people, at least they believe the Old Testament. And so I went through the scriptures like I did this morning. And so many of them, well, all five of them trusted Christ as their Savior. This one kid, he slapped the table. He says, that's Jesus Christ. I says, yes, I know. I said, remember, you said that. I didn't tell you that. And so, and a couple of them had tears in their eyes. All because I was able to open up a conversation. Don't be intimidated by anybody. Believe that what you know is so important, they ought to pay you to tell them. But they're not going to. But you know something that's so valuable. You know how to go to heaven. And majority of people have no clue on how to go to heaven. And if you can tell them, it's the greatest thing in all the world. So can you win Jewish people to the Lord? Yes, you can win people to the Lord. I did it over in Israel. Every time I went, I would have a couple that would trust Christ as Savior. And so I got an opportunity to speak in the First Baptist Church in Bethlehem. And uh, they were all Arabs. <laughs> and I'm giving the wallet illustration. I pull out my wallet, you know, and I'm going through the thing. Betty was there. I think he was watching. And then my interpreter's standing there, and he's speaking to him in Arabic. And I'm giving the gospel, just pouring out my heart, you know. And I said, let this hand represent you and me, and the wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God says that we have all sinned, and because of sin, we are all condemned, and the wages of sin is death, and we have to die. And the Bible says that, you have to be perfect to go to heaven, and none of us are perfect. And I thought, where do I stop this and let him do half of it? You know, because you have to do a couple lines, and then the interpreter's got to do something. I figured, I might just tell this whole story. And I said, God says, you cannot earn it. You can't work, for it, you can't buy it. This end represents Jesus Christ. He's God in the flesh, came into the world because he loves us, hates our sin. Our sin separates us from the Lord. Christ took the sin, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And said if you would believe he did it for you, he would put this payment to your account. You go to heaven on what he did, not on what you do. It's on because he's good. It's not because you're good. And I thought, how was he going to explain this? You know what he did? Next thing I knew, he reached over and he grabbed my wallet out of my hand. And I was, I was concerned at that point. He grabbed, <laughs> no, it <he> wasn't empty. <laughs> And he grabbed my wallet and he said, he went through, he did the same thing. And I watched it. He did the hand hand gesture perfect. First time you ever seen it. And he went through and he explained the whole thing. And then we got through. He gave his wallet back. I was glad to that. Or did I run him down? I can't remember. But anyway, I got my wallet back. But you have to remember, there's people who are wanting to hear a good presentation of the gospel. We have been so privileged, so blessed to know this truth. But it doesn't do anybody any good if we don't tell anybody about it. I was interested today because I looked on the website, and there was somebody who trusts the Lord today from Miami, and then somebody else from Jamaica. I think it was Jamaica. I mean, that's, isn't that awesome? That is so awesome. But look down here at your notes where we have, don't allow yourself to mentally stereotype Jewish people. Well, they're all the same. Don't put them all in the same little box. No, people are individuals. But it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or even if you're a Baptist or a foot-washing Aborigine. Doesn't matter what their religion are. Don't figure that. They all believe exactly the same thing to the same degree. They don't. There's a lot of people saying, well, I'm Catholic. But they don't want to go to church. They just go, I'm a Catholic. There's people that say they're Mormons and never go to the temple. There's people that are Jehovah's Witnesses or used to be, not anymore. There's people... Deal with them as an individual. Don't put them all in one group. Well, I know everything you believe, and then you want to lay them low. Well, wait a minute. They may not need you to kick them in the teeth. Maybe they just need you to present the truth. Maybe the gospel is powerful, and if you explain it, they might understand it. So the gospel is the light that shines upon whatever belief is wrong, doesn't it? So if you present the truth of the gospel, it sheds the light upon all those mysterious things that people say and think and believe. So the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. So get that down. That's the most important thing. Prejudice means to prejudge. And we need to just look at a person at face value and try to see where they're coming from. And do you know for sure you're going to heaven when you die? Well, no, I don't. And you might be surprised. Well, I know what you are. No. You don't have, if a man knows he's a sinner, you don't have to convince and say, look, what are they? How many sins have you committed lately? Can you tell me about your thought life lately? It ain't none of your business. All you need to know is nobody's perfect. And to go to heaven, you have to be perfect, and no one perfect. So that means we're all sinners. We've all done things wrong. We're all in the same boat. Number two, look here in your notes. Don't tell Jewish jokes to Jewish people if you're not Jewish. They usually don't come across very good. And buddy, do I know Jewish jokes? I had to realize just because I can tell jokes, and I can tell pretty good jokes, but I've also heard a few people over the years telling jokes that I should not have told. And I realize <laughs> there might be a better way. But if you're with a bunch of people and you're, you know, you're all together, it, it might not hurt to tell a few little jokes here and there. But when you're trying to win that lost person, they could easily become offended because of what you're saying and doing. And remember, the goal is this, to win them to the Lord. And so got to keep that in mind. Um, Number three, uh, you don't use the term like you need need to be a converted Jew. It's like taking a living room and converting it into a garage. Well, now it's no longer a, you know, living room. You change it into something else. And so sometimes a Jewish person thinks, you're trying to change me into something else. If I become a Christian, I'm no longer Jewish. No. Can a Jewish person be an atheist? Well, if you can still be Jewish and be an atheist... Why can't you still be Jewish and be a Christian? You can. I'm a Gentile, but I'm a Christian. Did I stop being a Gentile? No, I'm still a Gentile. I told a person this one time. I said, When you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror and you see that you're ugly. And then later on during the day, you trust Christ as your Savior. Go back and look in the mirror. You're still ugly. That didn't change. Some things don't change, and your physical body doesn't change. I used to be an Indian. I trusted Christ as my Savior. Now I'm a white boy. No. And no more than it does to a Jewish person. They're just a Jewish person that's a completed Jew. You're a completed Jew. You're just a Jewish person who has their sins paid for. And it will go over a little bit better than thinking that you're trying to change them from what they are and have been, and because of their nationality, you're trying to change them. Don't try to do that. Number four, don't use the term Jew if you can help it. Sometimes it's just a natural way in which we talk. But it's better to say he is Jewish or she is Jewish. That sounds a lot less harsh to someone who may have been called, because a lot of people, just like in this country, A lot of blacks years ago were called a lot of dirty names. And it's not good, and it's offensive. All right? So we learned that maybe we shouldn't say that. But a lot of the Jewish people have been called a dirty Jew, Christ killers. And they had nothing to do with it. It's been 2,000 years ago, and these that are living today have nothing to do with anything. And yet they have borne the blunt of all of that hatred and so forth that builds up in people. Uh, Look what Hitler did and causing people to hate the Jew. And some of those people claimed to be Christians and did it in the name of Christianity. Even the Crusades, they did a lot of damage. At the same time, they were trying to restore, you know, the right to go back and to visit some of the places and the holy sites there from Muslims that had conquered Jerusalem and so forth. But there's people on both sides, and a lot of people do a lot of things wrong. And a lot of things have been done in the name of Christianity. And you read Fox's Book of Martyrs and what has been done because of the Roman Catholics and what they thought and believed. So Christianity has not always had a pure, good name, testimony. And yet I call myself a Christian. But I hope that I live like a Christian should and talk like a Christian should. So we are to uphold a good testimony Not because somebody else has ruined the testimony. But there's a lot of people who have been cut and criticized because of that dirty Jew. And mock and make fun of them and hate them. And there's people even in America today that are still anti-Semitic. Hate the Jewish people. Look at the next statement. Number five, don't be afraid to witness to Jewish people because, well, you know, they really know the Bible. They really know the Bible. (laughs) I got news for you. Most of them have never read the Bible. And don't think, well, they know all these other religions. They really know their Bible. I talked to a Catholic priest one time. You know, the one with the collar on back with the father. I mean, he came into my youth meeting one night. There was nobody there, but just me and him. And he saw my chart that y'all have seen up on the wall. He says, what is that? I says, that's a a layout of the Bible. It's a prophetic survey of time. He said, I ain't never seen one like that before. I says, well, uh, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I says, where are you going when you die? He said, I'm a priest. (laughs) Yeah, but where are you going when you die? He said, well, the best I can hope for is purgatory. Okay. I said, well, I know that I have eternal life, and I know that I'm going to heaven when I die, and that blew his mind. He's the Father, and I'm just a little peon, and I know I have eternal life, and the best he can hope for is purgatory. We had a good conversation, wouldn't you think? It wasn't long before he trusted Christ as Savior. He says, I've never read a Bible. Mm -hmm. I've read the catechism, books about the Bible. I've never read a Bible. He said, but I got one. I got it right on my desk. I thought, that's really nice. It's like the mama who tells her little son, here comes, here comes the neighborhood preacher. Honey, quickly, go get, go get that book that we all love so dearly and put it on the table. So he went and got the Sears catalog. <laughs> anyway, as we're moving right along, look at number six, don't tell all you know. Don't feel like you have to unload the whole load on a person because, well, I know how to deal with a, you know, a Jewish person. And you give them all the prophecies all at one time. Too much light blinds, and they won't get it. It's better to take one or two little truths and explain it. It's better to take a verse, even like John 3, 16. You say, well, they they, they think that's in the Old Testament. (coughs) They don't know where it is. They haven't ever heard the verse. I don't worry about it so much. Except, but I know that I'm talking to them and Jewish people, and I've got a bunch of them, and I can do that. I don't mind doing that. But look at there. Number six. Too much spiritual food for thought can cause indigestion. Your first conversation should probably consist of spiritual appetizers. The object is to stimulate more interest and to make a friend. You cannot catch a fish until he nibbles. Unless you get a hold of a kind that just takes the bite and, now, and then pulls you out of the boat. I almost had that happen one time. It was a big fish. It was least Anyway. Do you believe the Messiah is yet to come? That's one I've used a lot of times. How will you recognize your Messiah? Because that opens a door. You can get into him. And uh, it's more than, uh, do you believe in God? Yes. You don't want a yes and no answer. You want to get more than that. Number seven, look at that. Don't embarrass him in front of his friends. Because if you have one of them that really is interested They may not convey that because of the pressures of others. See, there is a a stigma about people that are even Jewish, and they believe that if they accept Christ and Christianity, it can cause a lot of home problems, friend problems, work problems, all kinds of problems for them. See, you and I, we trust Christ as Savior, and who cares? Nobody cares whether we lived or died and went to heaven or hell anyway. So we trust the Lord that's good. But there's other people who can pay a great price, a great penalty. So be conscious of that and uh, not embarrass people in front of other people. That's why if there's two of us and uh, we got a person to talk to, if one person starts the conversation, I usually just back, just let them let, let him catch the fish. You don't try to, everybody jump on that person, scare them half to death. Here's another thing. Statement a Gentile believer can say to a Jewish person. There's a few things you can say to them that would help. I am enjoying your heritage. It kind of opens up the door and lets you know you're not against Israel. You're not against the Jewish person. Because they are sometimes very defensive because they feel like they have been attacked. So you have to be careful that you don't come across like you're attacking them. If you don't believe the Torah as I do, then I am a more Jewish than you are. Because, see, I believe the Torah. I believe the Old Testament. I believe the law and the prophets and the Psalms. I believe your scriptures. And so I sometimes i have told him, I said, you know, I'm not Jewish, but I wouldn't mind being Jewish. I love the nation of Israel. I love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But don't try to get so mushy with it that it's like oatmeal, kind of like this boy was with this girl, and she looks at him and says, say something nice and soft and mushy. He says, oatmeal? <laughs> yeah. Number three, number three, if a person can be Jewish while he is an atheist, why can't one be Jewish and be for Jesus? Doesn't it make sense. So you're putting him at ease. You're not stopping being Jewish. You're just a Jew who has their sins paid for. You're a person that knows you're going to heaven when you die. You have only accepted your Messiah. Remember, all the disciples at the first, they were all Jewish. We have a lot to be thankful for. They're the one that God used to start the church. They were the first missionaries. So we have quite a heritage that we should be thankful to the nation of Israel for. Because what we know and what we believe is because of this book. This book. And we should remember that. Look at the next statement I have here. Number five, I want you to see this. Well, let's just look at number four. The Old Testament is beautiful, but it's like an unfinished symphony. Have you ever heard that uh, Handel's Messiah? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And about 59,000 times, hallelujah, hallelujah. And then that's the end of the song. Wouldn't it be a shame to have it right in the middle of it and then you never finished it? Or sing that one song, "Oh Lord, my God, when I am awesome." You think there ought to be something else there Isn't there something to be? You didn't finish it. Well, see, the Old Testament is like a symphony that was never finished. It needs the New Testament to finish the song. This is the most beautiful music in all the world. But without the New Testament, it has no ending to it. We need the New Testament. We need it to finish. If it had finished with Malachi, there's too many things left undone. Too many prophecies that have never been fulfilled. So it's good to understand that and let them know that uh, without the New Testament, who is Isaiah talking about. Because if you don't have the new Testament, it's never been finished. It's never been fulfilled. So that's why it's so important to, to know the Bible. So that you can defend your faith, but also that you can use some of that knowledge to explain it to people because they're worth the time it takes for us to read and to study. Look at the next statement. Number five, all I may be doing is giving you the chance to intellectually reject Jesus. In other words, I've said this to him. I says, look, if you do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I said, you don't believe it, right? He said, yeah, I don't believe that. I says, but you really don't know why. Because you've never listened to the reasons why. I says, let me at least tell you so that if you reject him, you ought to know why you rejected him. Let me explain to you who he is, at least what he claims to be, and the prophecies he claimed to fulfill, and then you can intellectually say, I don't believe it. But right now, you're saying that without ever reading or hearing or understanding it at all. And I've had some take me up on it, and I've had a few of them take me, tell them no. But those who listen, it's amazing how all of a sudden they see it. They see it. I, at one day, whenever I was showing this one Jewish person, it was in the book of Daniel chapter 9. When I says, and he shall be cut off, but not for himself. And then afterwards, the temple would be destroyed, and the city would be ravished and destroyed. And I says, it's been like that now for 2,000 years. And he, you're talking about Jesus Christ. I says, I didn't say that. You did. And this was a different time than when I talked to those other five. It's just awesome. And it just does your heart good to know that you've got one here and you'll get one there. And they sometimes, they don't come in bunches. Just every once in a while you get an opportunity to talk to somebody. Now notice this. Number eight. Number eight. Jesus says salvation is of the Lord, or of of the Jews. It does not say for the Jew only. So whatever true Judaism is, it's for me also. God was revealing Himself through the Jews to the world. He said, Ye are my witnesses. So in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 11, this is where the Jehovah's Witnesses take this verse and say, That's talking about them. No, it's not talking about the Jehovah's Witnesses. This is talking about the nation of Israel because in verse 1 of that same chapter, He's talking about how that what I have done for you, Israel. And ye are my witnesses. But so, who was Israel to be a witness to? See, God wanted the nations of the world to know who he is. And we preached a sermon on that not long ago about God saying, do you know who I am? Look who I am and what I've done. That the world may know, Jesus said, that the world may know that I love the Father. This is why I do what I do. Remember, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish of the tribe of Judah. So we're talking about, and the Bible makes this statement in the Old Testament. He says that the Gentiles will seek this righteous branch, which is a reference to Jesus Christ. The Gentiles. Now, what prophet in all of these thousands of years has the Gentiles accepted from Israel and followed? There has been nobody but Jesus. So he must be the one, and he is the one. Look at the next statement. Number nine, the anti-Semitism of Germany was inhumane, cold-blooded, ruthless, and unmerciful. In fact, it was supernatural. It was satanic. Do you know who's behind all of this? It's the devil. The devil hates God. The devil hates Christ. The devil hates Israel. And the devil has poisoned the minds of this world. And look at how many people hate Jesus. And Jesus has done nothing to anybody. Jesus has never wronged anybody. Jesus never told a lie. Jesus was not deceptive. Jesus was the most honest person in the world, and yet the world hates him. Somebody's behind all of this. And I think it's the devil. Well, I do honestly believe it's the devil. But the thing that's also a shame is Israel has been deceived by the devil. Look at the next statement. The Jewish people are oblivious to the greatest anti semite of all, Satan. When Satan... Prejudices the Jewish people against their own Messiah, that is his ultimate triumph. When the devil can get Israel to turn against their own God, Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is God. And the devil has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. Number 10. Anti-Semitism can become so extreme as to cause us to suspect demonic activity. There are Jewish individuals who are completely secular. There are some that you can talk to. They don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe in God, Jehovah. They don't believe anything like that. They're totally as atheistic as can be. Jewish people. I've talked to them. They don't believe anything. And they don't want to talk about it either. They have disassociated themselves from everything Jewish and deny their own Jewishness. But they never forget to hate Jesus. You'd be surprised how many people, even Jewish people today, hate Jesus. And why does the world hate the Jew? Because the Jew hates Jesus. There is a war going on. But what we want to do is to convince them that we love them. We want of the know God loves the Jew. God loves even the Gentiles. God so loved the whole world. And everybody can have eternal life. Everyone can go to heaven. All they have to do is accept Christ as their Savior. But they have to believe that he is who he claimed to be. I'm going to slow this down now. But I want you to get it. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God, he loves us. Now, he hates our sin, but he loves us. God loves the whole world. And God wanted to use the nation of Israel to bring the Word of God into the world. He used those men to write the Word of God over hundreds of years. A lot of different writers, 35 to 40 different writers over a period of 1,600 years. The most magnificent book ever put upon this earth. There's no book like this book. And God says that he, he loves us, but He hates our sin. And all of us have sinned, and so we're all condemned. And The wages of sin is death. That's why we're all bo- we all are born, and we live, we sin, and we die. That's why everybody dies. We're sinners. We live in a wicked, sinful world. Your body's going to fall apart. I mean, you're going to have health problems galore. And it's just a matter of time. But sooner or later, you're going to die. We're all going to die. But God still loves us, wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We've all come short of God's perfection. Because of this sin, we can't get in. This end represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord, God in the flesh. God says, we cannot save ourselves from this payment that we have to make. So your good works won't help. Going to church, living a good life, does not pay for your sin. You have a debt payment, and it's hell. It only takes one sin. This hand represents Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He had no sin. He came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin. You see, God separates that. He loves us, but he hates what we do wrong. And he says our sin separates us. So Christ took the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. And he said that whosoever, anyone in the whole world, now he did this for the world, but only those in the world that will believe that he did it for them, will he put this payment to your account, and you go to heaven on what he did for you. If you believe that, God will save you and give eternal life. I was 18 years old when I heard this for the first time. I trusted Christ as my Savior. So I've known for 55 years I'm going to go to heaven. That's the best thing any man can never know. I know where I'm going to go when I die. And I know where I'm going to go if I died 20 years from now or 100 years from now. I can't go to hell. Christ died to pay for all of my sins. I don't have any sins to pay for. He did it for me. So if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, I urge you to do so. It's the smartest thing you will ever do. And read and study these notes because they will help you to remember little things that not only in talking to just Jewish people, But anybody, you can always use just genuine love and care and talking to people about the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed, eyes closed, and no one looking around. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, maybe you've heard about it, but why not right now in the quietness of this moment, just between you and the Lord, say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect. I know I've done things wrong. But tonight, I I will trust Christ as my Savior. I believe he died for me. And friend, if you will trust Christ as your Savior, he said he would give you as a free gift right now, everlasting life. Never cast you out, never lose you. Best news in all the world. And I'm not going to embarrass you, like I said. I'm not going to pin you against a wall or ask you to come forward. But right where you're sitting, if what I said made sense, I'm going to ask you if you'll just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down. And just let me know that what I said made sense to you to preach, I will trust Christ tonight. And I want you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is anyone at all? Anyone at all? Yes, God bless you, hun. If you trust Christ as your Savior tonight, He saves you tonight, gives you eternal life as a free gift. Never casts you out. When you get up to leave, you can say, I know I'm going to heaven because tonight I trusted Christ as my Savior. If you're watching by Internet tonight right where you are, would you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you will? There's a little button on the screen that says, yes, I will trust Christ. I wish you would do that to let us know that you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've already trusted the Lord, you don't need to do it again. You only need to do it one time because he said, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. That's such a wonderful thing to know. Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to come together to study your word. And we thank you also for the individual who would not uplifted hand let us know that They believe you died for them, and they're trusting you as their Savior. So bless each one for being here. Thank you for all you do for us. Give us a good week. Help us to be able to take advantage of opportunities you send our way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.